Why don't you please uh, take the Bible that you have with you and open it with me to the first chapter of Isaiah. And we're just going to be looking at the first 20 verses there together. Isaiah, right there in the middle of your Bible, one of the Old Testament prophets. I've been really looking forward to having this time with you today to bring a, a message that I think is just so central to a desire that we have to experience a closeness with God, what we call revival. Messages on obedience today. Let's look here at Isaiah, beginning in chapter 1. Please just follow along with me as I read these first 20 verses. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds, for they're not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate, your cities are burned with fire, in your very presence foreigners devour your land, it is desolate, it's overthrown by foreigners, and the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. The Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors. We should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of sacrifices, says the Lord, I've had enough of the burnt offerings and rams and fat and well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come up to appear before me, who has required you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. No moon or Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, 
Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Father, before us, I think, is a very clear, succinct truth. The blessings of obedience. They are laid out for us in every page here of Scripture. And so I pray that you would just keep this before us today. And as the, 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 the first note is played on the song of obedience throughout this week, that you would allow us to be engaged in it. And be honest to see where is there something missing here in my life? Where is there evidence of disobedience that I might be able to confess it, experience the grace of forgiveness and the grace to change? Thank you for hearing us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever experienced something so wonderful that you could not wait to share that with someone else? Perhaps it was a movie that you recently saw. It was so inspiring and it stirred your soul and your emotions and you could not wait to tell your best friend, you need to see this movie. Perhaps it's a restaurant that that serves the the best steak in northeast Wisconsin and you consumed it and you're like, I cannot wait to tell my buddy about this restaurant. Perhaps it's a, a vacation destination of one in which the The water is so clear and clean and the beaches are nice and soft and the accommodations are pristine. And you're like, I know of a family that would absolutely love this place. I'm going to take some pictures and I hope that they will one day be able to go. Perhaps your slant is toward shopping and there's a, a strip of shops along this quaint little village And the style is right. And even better, the price is just right. And you want to take some of your friends to that location. Or perhaps there's a stretch of the river with some deep pools that has never failed to produce some bountiful fish. And you've got a a son that you want to bring to that place and share in that great experience. Or maybe you're a little bit older. And you have, with some insight, observed a younger person in your life and you are seeing them bump up to some of the problems that life can bring. And you have been there yourself. And you have the wounds and the scars to prove it. And you are looking forward to a cup of coffee of what you can have with that younger person and just explain to them the lessons that you have learned that will ultimately help them move away from those pitfalls and traps. I want to speak to you about something that I would put in the same category today of just this wonderful experience of obeying what the Scriptures have to say. If we're truly wanting to draw close to God, there's old Dallas said this, in order to experience revival, most of us don't need to hear more truths. We simply need to obey that which we already know. So what we're going to be focusing on this morning and all this week is, I think, this very clear concept of obedience. What truths has God put before us 
And are we obeying them? The scripture tells us in Psalm 112, verse 1, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. You want to experience blessing? You want to experience the happiness and the joy that, that God desires for you to have? Keep his commandments. The wisest of all, aside from Jesus, was a man named Solomon. And he wrote this magnificent book or essay called Ecclesiastes. And when he boils life all down at the very end, when he unravels all the different layers of life, he says the end of the matter, when it's all been heard, is this. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of men. From the opening pages of Scripture, God in His kindness and love for us has clearly laid out for us how to experience God's favor and blessings by just teaching us clearly how to obey Him. We see it in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. He says of the first man and woman, you, sh- you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. And so we see in the second book, in the third book, Exodus and Leviticus, where God, in painstaking detail, lays out to His own nation, His own people, how that they can please Him. And then in in chapter 26 of Leviticus, He says, if you will obey, then here's a list of blessings that will come your way. The rains, the wonderful harvest will be bountiful. You'll experience peace. And if you do get called to war, you will always have success. There will be safety. You won't have to worry about wild animals coming in and attacking you or your family. Another blessing will be you will be fruitful and multiply. You will have kids and a lot of them. You will experience God's favor and his freedom. But in the same chapter, he warns that if you disobey his commands... Well, the opposite will be true. Not good health, but disease and fever. You'll be ruled by others. You'll have famine. Your land will be unproductive. And instead of experiencing God's favor, you will be opposed by Him. So there is this tune that plays throughout the entire Scriptures of a calling to obey the clear commands of God. Honor God, obey His commands, and you receive blessings. But it is not quite that simple, is it, loved ones? There is something within us that is repulsed by God and His commands. They are clearly laid out for us, but we see them as an invasion of our freedoms. God, who are you to tell me how to live? And what about all these commands that that feel so heavy and intrusive to my life? And so there's this rejection of God and his commands. As we turn now to the book of Isaiah, we see the realization of what disobedience looks like. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, we see here the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, and then he lists the kings that are before us. At this time, Israel has been in the promised land for approximately 700 years. The first 400 of those 700 judges ruled the land. And then the next 120 years, men like Saul, David, and Solomon ruled the land, which leaves the next 180 years. 
Now, around that 180 years, during the year 917 B.C., there was a civil war in Israel, and it split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was made up of Israel, and during this time, about 18 kings ruled, and all of them were evil, defined by that they would not obey God's commands. In the southern kingdom, Judah, where Jerusalem was, there were around, at the same time, 11 kings. Some of them were good. Some obeyed the scriptures. And some of them did not. In verse 1, we see a vision. That is, a revelation was given to Isaiah to proclaim to the people now that they are fallen. And it lists the, the kings in which Isaiah, the preacher, served under. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. It is believed in chapter 1 that Ahaz was king. And we can read about Ahaz in Second Kings chapter 16, as well as Second Chronicles, chapter 28. He was so evil, listen to this, he sacrificed his own son to a pagan god. And so now we see in verses 2 through 20, this message that God has for these people that have disobeyed him. Let's first consider God's complaint against his people. It says here in verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. We have a picture here of a courtroom scene where God is about ready to levy an argument against his own people. And it's as if earth and the heavens are the jurors that day. And he says there in the second part of verse 2, Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. These children of mine have experienced nothing but blessings and care and provision. And in return for that, they have demonstrated nothing but ungratefulness. These people are ungrateful for God's care and provision. So he contrasts people with animals like donkeys and oxen. And when I use that word donkey and oxen, I wonder what words come to mind for you. Would it be sophisticated and intelligent? Probably not. But what he is going to say here is that these animals are actually more intelligent than us, than people. Listen to what it says there in verse 3. The ox knows its owner. And the donkey, its master's crib. But Israel does not know My people do not understand. If you were to walk out to a farm, and there is an ox out in the field, there is a donkey out in the field, they understand that they are owned, and they are property of the master. That that master provides the grain, the corn, the grass, and fresh water for them regularly. They understand that that barn or that shed is there for their protection. And in the event that they got wounded, the master, the owner, would have their back and would aid them in their injury. If that donkey or that ox would would have a baby, well, they would be there to take care of that. And they understand the arrangement here. In return for that, I'm going to be working the fields for my master. Hook me up to the plow. Hook me up to the wagon. And I will do the labor that my master desires of me. And if not, 
Well, then I'll be on the grill on Friday night, right? (laughs) But that understanding escapes men and women. It says here that they don't show the same appreciation to the one who owns them, the one who has provided for them, the one who has cared for them. They do not trace it back to a loyalty to say, God, you have done this. Listen to what it says there in verse 4. All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. What this is saying is, as God has poured out provision and care, men and women have returned that with contempt and hatred towards Him. It is astonishing, and may we not look down at these people because you and I are guilty of the same thing. So we see God's complaint against his people. Let's consider, secondly, the consequences of this disobedience. It says here in verse 6, From the soul, well, let me back up to verse 5. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. And the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. What are the consequences? The first is pain. Pain from the the tip of the toe to the top of the head. Listen, God is so committed to people, that he will not allow them to remain in disobedience without trying to get their attention with a wonderful gift called pain. He will allow them to experience these consequences. And they will leave marks on the body. You see it there in verse 6. Bruises, sores, raw wounds that nothing can soothe them. No, softening with oil. Here, pain is intended to be the counselor, correcting and guiding us on how we are to live. That if we stray from God's protective precepts, we are vulnerable to pain. But that's not the only consequence we see here. We also see loss. In verse 7 it says, Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, as overthrown by foreigners. Now, if we wanted to take a moment, we could look in in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, and we would learn that during Ahaz's rules, five different nations came in and attacked the people there in Jerusalem or Judah. They were so vulnerable because of their disobedience that they were just being taken advantage of and there wasn't, at this point, much left at all. He offers this word picture here in verse 8 that the daughter of Zion, that is God's people there, are left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field. During harvest time, there would be a booth set up made of sticks. It wasn't real solid. And there would be a guard that would stay in that booth to manage the cucumber field. And during the evening, they would make sure that no thieves or robbers would come into that field. It was just a makeshift booth. 
Well, here's the metaphor being provided. It's as if all the crops have been taken and all that's left is this rickety old booth. And that's what God's people are like. This once wonderful city of Jerusalem are like. And in verses 9 and 10, he compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah, countries that were so filled, or cities that were so filled with sin that they were completely destroyed. Now, what makes matters worse is what verse 5 says. Despite the pain and the loss, listen to what it says in verse 5, why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? Despite all the consequences that these people are experiencing because of their sin, you know what they're doing? They're continuing to disobey. They're continuing to disobey. And with all the love that I can muster up within me today, I'm wondering if you are experiencing this as well. The life of disobedience that is bringing consequences of pain and loss. And I'm asking you, what is it going to take for you to repent and to turn and to say enough is enough? Here's what they do about this is they enter into some empty ceremonies intended to win God's favor. So let's just recap. There are these clear commands that God has laid out for his people. They don't want anything to do with it. They're not grateful for the blessings that he has brought to them. Instead, they're going to do it their own way, and there are consequences that result in pain and in loss. And here's what the people of God do. They said, I'll tell you what, let's get religion. Let's get religious. Now, I want you to follow this list with me, okay? Because it says here the first thing they do is they offer sacrifices. Verse 11 says, God is speaking to the people, and he says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring to me no grain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. These people, in order to relieve the guilt and the consequences of their sins, say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sacrifices at the temple. We're going to get religious here. In order to appease God's judgment upon us, let's cut him a deal. We will sacrifice and give to the Lord's work He will look down from heaven, forgive our offenses, lift his discipline, and provide relief from our pain. But since the people remain unrepentant, God will not receive their sacrifices. We're going to learn this week that it is better to obey than to sacrifice. This is convicting, is it not? Perhaps you feel like you're trying to cut a deal with God. God, I could really use your favor here. How about I write a check to this or that? How about I sacrifice my time to this or that? And by doing so, then I will get your favor on my life. But God is pointing to your heart, and he's saying there's some commands that you have left unkept. You are not obeying them. This is what I really require of you. The second thing we see in their empty ceremonies intended to win God's favor 
is that they attend worship faithfully. You're not expecting a pastor to say these things, but I'm just telling you what the Bible is saying here. It says in the second part of verse 13, is there, there's, there's new moon and, and Sabbaths and the calling of convocations. He says, I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moon and your appointed feast my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. These people experiencing the consequences of their sin, saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to church. We're going to the temple. And not only that, loved ones, they're not only going on the Sabbath, that's once a week, but they're going to special services as well. Now, I'm just going to confess to you that I'm grateful when people come to church once a week. And if they keep coming, then they're like, hey, that's really a core member of our church. I think we would conclude in in Isaiah 1, these were core people of the temple. They came when life action was there. They came when there was this door service, this, this Christmas service. They came to a Good Friday service. They came to Christmas Eve service. Whenever there was a special service called, these people were there. Certainly God would be pleased with me if I attend church faithfully. Now, I'm all for you attending. We are, it's, it's, Scripture tells us that we're not to forsake the assembling together. But what we see from this passage is what God really wants is our obedience. There's this wonderful passage there in 1 Samuel 16, 7, where the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And there's another thing that they offered up. You're going to be surprised by this. They offer up passionate prayers. It says there in verse 15, God is saying to these people, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Aren't we supposed to pray? Don't I encourage us to pray? Now, in our day, what we tend to do is we we fold our hands and we close our eyes and we bow our head. But in this time, what they did is they spread out their hands and they looked up and they prayed to God. And evidently, they're doing this repeatedly because it says prayers there, plural there in verse 15. And they are crying out, they are calling out to God. All the while, there is disobedience in their heart. The psalmist said, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Boy, we can deceive ourselves, can't we? We can think that if I just, if I just sacrifice, if I just attend, if I just pray, all will be right with God. But here's what God is calling you to, loved one. He's, what he's calling me to is obedience to the clear commands of Scripture. This leads us to the fourth thing, where we are to be covered with the grace of God. Verse 16, 17, and 18. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. 
Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. I want to pause there in verse 18. In light of all these circumstances, I got a complaint against my people. They're not obeying. They are ungrateful. There are consequences of pain and loss that they are experiencing. They're trying to cover this with their own religious emptiness. But come now. Listen to what it says there in verse 18. Let us reason together. Let's apply a little logic here. How is this going for you? This life of disobedience. Are you tired of the wounds and the scars that it has brought Think through this. Is this what God would have you to do? And then he says, there is this offer of your sins as foul and as dirty as they are. They can be made white as snow. They are like crimson red, but they can be made like wool. I'm not much of an expert when it comes to laundry, but I think the red stain's got to be among the most difficult to get out of any sort of garment. This past week, I was playing basketball, and before um, we were ready to kind of make our teams, there was a, a guy that had a white shirt on, and there was this big stain on it. And so I could not help but make fun of him for that. And just started, I said, what's the deal with the stain? What's that from? And he says, well, honestly, this was from breakfast several years ago. And uh, I had some sort of a sauce, and, and it's still there. Thanks for noticing it, you know. And uh, it, it, was a great, it was a great picture of how difficult stains are to get out. But how difficult would it be to get our sin stains out? And here's this wonderful promise that there is grace available, a grace that can provide Salvation that would save us, but not only this, but would transform us. Do you see just six chapters from here in Isaiah chapter 7, there's a foretelling of a Savior that would be born. And this Savior will, will save people from their sins. And Isaiah 7, verse 14, a verse that we refer to during Christmas time, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name. Emmanuel. Through Jesus' blood and resurrection, the one sacrifice once and for all, we can be thoroughly washed and our sins can be washed away. And this crimson red of sin can be completely blotted out from our lives. But here's the thing. God will do His work but it's our responsibility to receive this grace. It says there in verse 16, wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. And so what is that defilement? Well, it tells us there in verses 16 and 17, there's these evil deeds. There's not doing good. We need to be seeking justice. We need to correct oppression, bring justice, particularly to the weak, the fatherless, and the widows. This is the responsibility that we have to receive the grace of forgiveness. And this grace not only forgives us, but it also 
transforms us and allows us to be able to live and obey the commands that God has given to us. He says here, wash yourselves. This past week, I got a phone call from someone that is a perspective of visiting our church. And he says, I just want to know real clearly, uh, do you emphasize predestination? That is God's sovereignty, that God does the work in salvation? Or do you emphasize man's responsibility, that man must choose to receive the grace of God? And you probably know what I said to that. (laughs) I said yes. Because I think this passage has them both. The grace is available through what Jesus' death and resurrection has provided for us. But loved ones, you have to respond to that. You have to receive that grace. And if you don't, the consequences you are experiencing now are nothing compared to what awaits you in eternity. What a wonderful truth I get to present to you today is there's a blessing there in obedience. Let me just close by looking at verses 19 and 20. Despite all the pain, despite all the sin that God's people have committed against him, we close out this passage by this, verse 19. If you are willing and obedient... You shall eat the good of the land. Listen, you may have felt like you have blown it your entire life. You could be 90 years old today. There's no hope for me. But here's the promise. It's not too late for you. If you are willing and obedient... If you allow the grace of God to save you and transform you, there's still time for you to obey Him. Verse 20 says, But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. And you see in verses 19 and 20, there's some eating going on. It's either we're going to eat of the blessings, or we're going to be eaten by the judgment of God. Let me just close this message. I think I want to just provide a little bit more clarity. And and on the back of your outline is three reasons why we should obey God. The first is this. We obey out of love. This is not about manipulation with God. This is a response to the grace of God forgiving us and transforming us. We're going to be reading this week as we work through this entire unit on obedience. John 14, verse 15, where Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's right. Amen. <laughs> From the mouth of babes, amen. First John 5, 3, John wrote this, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. C.S. Lewis says, I was not born to be free. I was born to adore and to obey. I think there's people, and I'm probably guilty of this times in my life as well, 
that say, I love God. I listen to Christian music nonstop. If you were to walk through my apartment, you would see nothing but Christian artwork. I have many passages committed to memory. I teach this Bible study in the middle of the week. See, I am loving others, and you certainly can be loving God by doing that. But this is the true measure of our love for God is are you obeying what he has commanded? About a week and a half ago, I had a chance to go to a Brewer game. And, and while we were there, I was there with my, my brothers, my dad, and right in front of me was a, a, a young father and a young mother, and I had estimated a son to be about four or five years old. And as best I knew, it was his first game. And, and I, I watched that dad go up and down that aisle and... and and go to the concession stand and get food, and then he would get a, a, some merchandise and bring it back. And it seems like I know that he was gone more than he was present. And at times, not that I was consumed by this, but I thought to myself, where is this guy going? And then I concluded he was probably going to a bank to take out a loan for some of this stuff. And I have no idea what was going on, but what I saw was a young wife that stood there with her son and just grateful to be there. And I think the, the dad was trying to express love for that family, but I bet he was only there for two innings of the nine innings. And my guess is if they had their choice, they would have preferred for him to be there in his presence. And I share that illustration to say sometimes we might... Say we're loving people, but we're not really loving them the way they want us to love. And how do we love God? By obeying him. By obeying the commands that he has given to us. Here's a second thing, a second reason that we obey God. As our obedience provides proof that we belong to him. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. John 15, verse 14, Jesus said, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Does your walk, the consistency of your life, prove that you really are a follower of God? Is there evidence of God's saving grace and transforming grace in your life? If so, it will be marked by obedience. This is the entire message of the book of James. And then thirdly, this is going to get real practical. I mean, life is too hard not to obey. Obedience generally leads to blessing. I don't know about you, but by, as the grace of God works in my life, I'm trying to obey Him. But in, in light of that, life is still very difficult. <laughs> and, and ministry is impossible. And if the alternative is to say, you know what, L- let me just do it my way, I cannot even imagine how much more difficult life would be. On this side of heaven, I think life is hard. But let's not make it any harder than it needs to be. God has given us these clear teachings. He's given us the grace to follow them. 
And why not apply that grace to these clear teachings? You know, I said to you a moment ago that obedience often leads to blessing because this book is so raw and so real that when we read the book of Job or the book of Habakkuk, that doesn't seem to be true. Here are people that are just obedient, and yet there seems to be challenges that come their way. And you know, you and I could be discouraged if we think Christianity is a formula. God lays out His commands. I obey. I always experience blessings. But we obey out of love. We obey out of proof. And we obey because a lot of times the Lord does bring blessings. Jesus said in Luke 11, verse 28, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I'm not sure I can even pronounce this brother's name, Francois. How about that? But he said this, Happy is the soul which holds itself ceaselessly in the hands of its creator, ready to do everything which he wishes, which never stops saying to itself a hundred times a day, Lord, what would you have me to do? I don't think I could say say it any better than that. That's where I want to be. And I think there's a lot of people in this room that want to be there as well. A hundred times a day, God, what is it you want me to do? Give me the grace to obey. I'm only playing the opening notes of this song of obedience. That what I would love is for it to be played in your lives all week long, in your homes, in your families, and in our Bible studies. Why do I say it that way? Because what we are doing as a church as we're hitting on themes like this throughout the summer, last week was holiness, this week is obedience, and you're going to have an opportunity to take a test. You've heard of something called an IQ test, intelligent quotient test. This week, would you just join me in taking the obedience quotient test? If you really desire to show your love for God, then you will subject yourself to seeing how much obedience is there really in your life. We'll be working through that this week in this book. If you're just passing through or you've already determined you're not going to be working through this book, I printed out that, uh, that test. You can get it there on the front row. But I just want you to join me this week. I've taken this, this obedient quotient test a few times this week. And it's dealing with me as God deals with me and adjustments are being made in my life. And I'm here to tell you that I'm not asking you to go anywhere where that I'm not personally willing to go myself. And as God is revealing things in my life, perhaps he will do the same for you as well. Let's be an obedient church. Let's, by the grace of God, apply what he is asking us to do. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at this passage today in Isaiah, I think we see a hard list of verses. Thank you, God, so much for the honesty that you have for us. You see, we see people here that are not much different than us. People that are ungrateful. 
People that don't always trace the blessings of gratitude back to your gracious hand. People that have turned away from you, away from your commands, and have done it their own way and experienced pain and and loss. We've sought religion. We've sought our own means to try to win your favor. When all along there is grace that is available, that can clean the, the darkest stains of sin within the sound of my voice and beyond. It is through what Jesus has done for us. Oh, what hope we see in the cross and in the empty tomb. And may we apply this cleansing grace to our lives. But when we also apply this transforming grace to make us more like Jesus. And may our church carry the theme of Isaiah that, that offers judgment, that offers hope, but then it takes it to the nations. And may that just flow from the walls and the lives here of Highland Crest, that we would take the hope that we have found in him and spread the blessings of obedience with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.